All right, all right. Well, good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Yes, it is a sleepy Sunday on Labor Day weekend, but you know what? We woke up this morning, we got breath in our lungs, we were able to put our feet on the ground and get to moving, so we need to be grateful, starting off our day with gratitude. I just had this conversation with my son yesterday. I said, you know what, son, sometimes things won't go your way. Um, you know, you may not get to go to the fair as you were intending to because it rained, right? But you woke up in the morning, God gave you breath in your lungs, and so when you start your day off with gratitude, it changes your whole perspective for your day, right? So I'll start it off again, and I'll say, good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Amen, amen. So if you're new here, uh, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you came this morning to worship with us. We are we're in a new series, and it is exciting when we're in a new series because we get some, some old information that's maybe been there put in a fresh way and applied in a fresh way. And if you've been here for a while, this is your home church. I want to say welcome, good morning, uh, and thank you for coming out. Uh, and continuing to be a part of this worship thing that we do. Uh, and our worship extends, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of piggyback off what Corey said, our, our worship extends outside of this place. It's not just on a Sunday morning when we worship. We worship with our lives, right? And we're going get to get more into that in the Word. But the huddles that we have at Third Street, and we have some new ones forming, amen? Wow. The new huddle leaders are not excited, I guess. We have some new ones forming, Amen. Amen. I'm going to call you out if you're not excited and you're a potential huddle leader. I'll, I will call you out. No, we're excited. Heather, Heather, Heather and Joe over there. Wait. Sorry, I, I just slipped out. Sorry, guys. No, we're excited because there's new voices and new perspectives that have taken on the responsibility and joy of being huddle leaders. So if you are not a part of a huddle, I promise you, you, you will not be disappointed in the, in the depth and the growth of, uh, of your spiritual life that, that develops as a part of that, okay? So we're going to jump right in. I've got a lot. I, I, you will not be getting out early for lunch, I promise you that. Um, we've got a lot to get into today, and we're in this series, Move the Needle. Um, everybody say, Move the Needle. Move the Needle. Move the Needle. Right, so if you all saw what happened, right, Move the Needle went from empty to full, and kind of, that's a little bit strange. You're probably thinking that's an optical illusion. Maybe the E is supposed to be where the F is. No, no, that's... That's exactly how it should look. What we're trying to do with this series, what we're trying to communicate with this series is that we at Third Street want to make sure that the gauge, the things that we gauge our uh, success with is not necessarily numbers, it's not necessarily drivenness, it's not necessarily efficiency, but it's actually spiritual depth. Yeah. We want to be a church that is so rooted and firmly established in God's word that, that there is nothing that can sway us or shake us, whatever comes our way, whether it be recession, whether it be, uh, you know, potential attacks from the enemy, whatever. We want to make sure that we are a church that is rooted and firmly established. And so we want to move the needle from this worldly perspective of what you have to do is go 100 miles an hour to achieve your goals and actually slow it down just a little bit. Take a different perspective to say that, you know what, the way in which we succeed in the kingdom is actually by walking at God's pace. And God's got all the time in the world, so he's not in a hurry. Amen? So, last week, uh, and previously we've been talking about, uh, you know, Corey kind of got into a lesson on thermodynamics, which I will not be getting into. Uh, I was really impressed he could say that word. I'm just playing, Pastor. I'm just playing. No, uh, I, we, we got, into, we got into, uh, into what it looks like when, when God's will for your life goes against your desires, Correct? And how that tension exists for all of us. Each one of us ex kind of exists in that tension. I want to do this, 
Paul even says, you know, things I want to do, I, I want to do so bad, but I can't. Those things that I don't want to do, I do. And that's what we live in, in that tension. So what do we do about that, right? He talked about how when things are hot, they will grow cold. It's the same for your spiritual life. When you are a new, who's, when you're a new believer, right, do you remember that, that excitement that you had? Nothing could shake your faith. You were going to worship God forever. And like five years later, right, if you haven't done something about it, you find yourself kind of questioning and doubting. Like, is this, man, this is hard. This is, this, is really, this is really difficult. I don't know if I signed up for this. What is hot will grow cold. And so unless you act upon it or something acts upon it from an exterior, you will grow cold in your faith. Right? Uh, but the beauty of being a part of the church is that you have other people who can help stoke that fire. So when Pastor Corey gets up here, he is not going to start the fire in you. He's not responsible for getting your, your spiritual life together. His job is to stoke that fire with good words from, from biblical teaching. And so if you're not actively involved in the process of spiritual formation, your faith is going to go cold. All right, so now that I've got everybody thoroughly excited to go into the word... Um, let's, let's turn to um, the passage for the day. Today's topic is burnout. So how do we move the needle from, from burnout to fullness, right? Um, what is burnout? So burnout was described as burnout is, 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 is a syndrome. The American uh, Psychological Association describes it as a syndrome. Uh, it's, it's, it's at an all-time high right now. They've done these studies, and they looked at it, and they said burnout and stress occupationally is at an all-time high from the time that they've been, they've been tracking these things. Pandemic, recession, all this stuff. People are just exhausted. People are beat up. You might be, you might be sitting here this morning going, I am ready to fall asleep because of how burnt out and tired I am. Right? We all can relate to that in some degree. The World Health Organization says burnout uh, results from workplace stress that has not been properly managed. And I'll get into what the three dimensions are, but workplace stress that has not been properly managed. So to the, to the first scripture, we'll go um, in a minute, but I want to jump into Genesis where we see God's example for us of what it looks like to manage stress, right? You, you, don't, you won't see it on the screen for this first one. Genesis 2, verse 1. So thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. How many of you have ever created a universe? I imagine that's stressful. I don't know. God, after creating everything that we know to be true in existence, after creating entire universes, after creating solar systems that are suspended by seemingly nothing, after creating the intricacies that go into the human body on a cellular, molecular level, after creating the plant life and ocean life and the systems and the cyclical seasons that we experience, he set aside and prioritized a day to rest. So, God, universe, me, occupation. 
Is my occupation more important than God who created the universe? Are you saying to me that your life is so busy that you can't set aside a time to rest and rejuvenate? Because if God did it, then we better model ourselves out for God unless you're willing to create a universe. Burnout. What's the definition again? Workplace stress that is improperly managed. The way to properly manage stress in our lives. And it doesn't have to be workplace stress. It can be, I'm burned out from, from spiritual life. I'm burned out from relational life. How are you managing that? The way God did it was he prioritized a day and he made it holy. He said, I'm going to set aside time to rest from the work that I have done and to prepare me for the work that I'm going to do. Because God wasn't done working, was he? I hope not. <laughs> God was not done working, as we see in Scripture. So I want you all to turn to Matthew 6, 22 and 23. It'll be up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. And what we see in Matthew 6, 26, or 23, uh, 22 and 23 is the first, first passage we're going to deal with on here today. And this is the words of Jesus. He's just gotten done. He's in the middle of giving one of the greatest, giving, I'm sorry, the greatest sermon, because um, he was the greatest preacher of all time, right? Giving the greatest sermon um, that we have recorded in Scripture. It's the time when Jesus basically gives his inaugural speech. He is entering into the public ministry. He's been, he's been spending time developing, spiritually forming. God is working and, and, and preparing him for this time. And he gives this inaugural speech saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like, right? So in Matthew 6, 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? So what does this have to do with burnout and rest and Sabbath? Burnout is characterized by three dimensions. Feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. And this includes physical, which is the body, mental, which is the mind, spiritual, which is the soul. Now, if burnout is characterized by this physical, mental, and, and spiritual depletion, we need a remedy for that, right? Second characteristic, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativity or cynicism related to one's job. So that person is constantly griping and complaining, I hope it's not you, about their job. They may be on the brink or experiencing burnout. The third is reduced professional efficiency. So not only are they complaining about the job and being cynical about the job, they're slacking on the job because they don't like being at the job. Now, these are the three dimensions or characteristics of burnout. The big thing that sticks out to me is that depletion, soul depletion. Who's ever experienced depletion at the soul level? I'm asking for honesty. Just be honest here. I'm talking about that kind of depletion that the things that normally would fill you no longer fill you. The things that normally give you rest actually are more taxing to do. 
the places that you go, I'm going to rest and relax. You can't because your mind is constantly running and your soul is depleted. And you know, a lot of times the reason why we are in that state and we can't get out of it is because the perspective that we're looking out at life is clouded, it's distorted, we can't see clearly. When Jesus is preaching this sermon and he's talking about the eye being the lamp of the body and if your eye is bad, then you'll be filled with darkness. What he's talking about is not unrelated to the passages around him. See, just before that, he talks about our hearts, our treasures being where our hearts are. And what he says is, is you should not store up for yourself treasures in, in store barns and, and, and keep for yourself, heap for yourself all kinds of material goods. Instead, put your hope and your trust in the heavenly bank. Put your treasures in heaven. Make your focus, your vision, your lens should be heavenly focused. Because that, that bank is never going to run dry. That barn is never going to be empty. That well will never run dry. And then after that, shortly after that, Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon or money. You can't do it. You can either serve God and despise money, or you can serve money and despise God. Now, some of us want to try to do both. We want to try to juggle. I can do both. I love money. I love God. We're equal. It's okay. God will make my money richer. It's all good. That's not how it works. God is not saying money is evil. God is not saying money is bad. He's not saying wealth is bad. What Jesus is saying is that when we put our perspective, our drivenness, our end game on a specific focus, that's what we'll end up Worshipping. Not just desiring, not just liking, worshipping. When you put your, pers- your perspective, excuse me, on God, everything else falls in that category. You, it has to glorify God. And if it does not, then you despise it. And I'll tell you something. I despise money. I wish I had more of it, but I despise it because I wish I had more of it. My student loans make me despise money. I want to be in heaven so that I don't have to pay Discover anymore. (laughs) Rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Jesus is giving us a prescriptive for life. He's giving us is giving us an optic prescriptive. That's, I'm sorry, I'm in the healthcare field, so I'm thinking about this from the perspective of someone who has cataracts. All right? So when someone has cataracts, you can't tell that they have cataracts. There's no outward, it's not like they have an eye patch because they have cataracts. Someone who has cataracts has a film over the lens of their eye. And when they have that film over the lens of the eye, it distorts the perspective on which they see things. They might bump into things because they have cataracts. They can't drive at night because the reflection or the glare makes vision hard to see. So even when they see light, it's not seen properly. When you live with the perspective that the end goal of your life is pursuit of of material wealth or or status or education or, or looks, what you're doing is you're trying to live life and and walk through life with a cataract over your lens. And and yeah, you'll get through. You might bump your way around. You might stumble on some things, and you you might be able to make it okay. 
but you'll never see clearly what's actually right in front of you. And Jesus is saying, I've got the prescription. I've got the laser eye surgery that's going to remove that film right off of your eye. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you that in order for you to see clearly, you've got to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. Because he will illuminate and he will make your life full of light. So even when, even when you walk through darkness, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, he's there with me and he will illuminate my path. He will be a light unto my path. When you believe, when you put your trust and hope in God and you say to the things of the world, the material things of the world, the the societal drive to to whatever else, the next thing, what you're saying is, I want this this cataract removed so I can see clearly. You can live with 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 a lens, a perspective of life that's a lens of scarcity, which says, I want more. I'm never going to get enough. Or you can live with a lens of grace and gratitude that says grace is enough. God's grace is enough. I wake up in the morning and I'm grateful for what I have because God is with me, period. That doesn't mean that you won't experience hurt. It doesn't mean that you won't experience loneliness. It doesn't mean that you won't experience pain. But what it means is that you see clearly that that pain is not for nothing. And that you're not in that pain forever. And that what you're going through, the suffering, the soul depletion you're going through it doesn't have to be the only thing that you experience in life. So that's my first point is the lens you look through determines the way you live. If you're looking through a lens that's cloudy and distorted, that's how you're going to live. You're going to live a cloudy and distorted life, confused, vacillating between one idea to another. If you look through the lens of Jesus, you look through the lens of gratitude and grace It's going to allow you to be able to go through things with a certain sense of peace and purpose that people look at and go, what is that? I know what you're going through. How are you experiencing this with such peace? Because I can see clearly now the rain has gone. I didn't even mean to put that in. That just came. Okay. Now, there was a question um, that was asked to, this is just kind of interesting. There was a question that was asked to a group of people. They did a survey, and they did three different categories, just to highlight this a little bit more. Three different categories of income. This is done in like 1992. And they asked, how much would it take to achieve the American dream? Give me a number. How much would it take for you to feel like you've achieved the American dream? So, it's, woof, it's, Candace, Candace, amen, hi. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say no, yes, yeah. They ask a group of people who made approximately $25,000 a year, so about poverty level or less, how much would it take? And they said, average, $54,000. $54,000 a year salary, and I'm living the American dream. They asked a group of people who made $50,000 or so about a year, how much would it take for you? $100,000. If I made $100,000, I'm good. I'm making the American dream. I have my white picket fence, my dog, two and a half kids. It's all good. They asked the group of people who make, I don't know how you, don't question it. That's just the stats. They asked the group of people who make $100,000, how much would it take for you to make, to, to achieve the American dream? 192000 I don't know why it's so specific, $192,000 to achieve the American dream. So you see what I'm, what I'm getting at is as long as you're looking through the lens of the world, which is never enough. It doesn't matter what level you get. You may be Jeff Bezos. You may be Elon Musk. There will never be enough to satisfy 
that need and to fill that void that you're experiencing in your life. The only peace that comes is by understanding that we don't live for this life. We live for eternity. All right, so Jesus calls his disciples and followers to live through this grace lens. Have gratitude in all circumstances because we know that God is with us in those circumstances. And we have a choice every day. Every day we have a choice as we exist to live with the perspective or the lens of grace and gratitude or the lens of scarcity. That sermon goes on, like I said, to talk about serving two masters. And you can either be devoted to money or you can be devoted to God. You can be devoted to self-image. You can be devoted to God. You can be devoted to academic uh, pursuits or you can be devoted to God, but not both. And this brings me to my second point, which is the object of your love will get your most attention. The object of your affection will get your, will get your most attention. Um, How many of you watch the Avengers movies? Come on, don't be shy. It's, you're not a nerd. It's not nerdy anymore. Like, like, it's cool to love the Avengers and to love Marvel comics. So, woo, me too. I've watched, we, my wife and I, actually, when we were sick with COVID, um, we watched through the entire, we made it our goal. We were very committed to this, to watch through all of the Marvel movies um, because she'd never seen them. Uh, and I wanted to see them again. And so that's what we did. It was amazing. She was amazing. I thought she would make fun of me. But she was like, this is actually really cool. They did a great job. So I digress. What I'm saying is, um, in the Marvel movies, this is one character. His name is Doctor Strange. He's awesome. He's snarky. He's funny. He's smart. He's like my favorite character out of all of them. Right? Uh, and he has this cape that flies on its own. Right? And he can, he can retrieve it, and it comes, and he flies with him. But one of the coolest things about Doctor Strange that he has is he has access to this thing called an Eternity Stone. I think that's what it's called. Eternity Stone? Infinity Stone. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> It's this infinity stone. And what he, what he has, in this, what this infinity stone does, it allows you to control time. Now, some of y'all have already heard me say this in different spaces. I'm going to say it again. That is the coolest, most amazing superpower that anybody can have. Case in point, Superman. If he's in a fight and he wants to go back and try to do something over again, can he do it? No. He has superhuman strength. He has vision. Fantastic. That's cool. But you can't, you can't change time. Can't do it. Right? Batman, he has a cool suit, and he drives a fantastic car, and he throws these things. But can he change the effects of time? Can he slow things down so that he can fight his opponents more clearly? No, he cannot. So don't even come at me with any other superpower. I'm telling you, this is it. Now, where am I going at with this, right? Time, in my estimation, time is the most valuable thing that we experience in life. We can't even possess it because we can't do anything to change it. You can't possess time. You can't have time. You can experience time, though. And it is one of the most powerful, most important things that we can experience. If I was Dr. Strange, I could turn back time and go and change some things. I can't. I would slow down time so I could experience more time with my kids. I cannot. I would fast forward to see what it was like when I'm 80. Am I going to be walking with a walker? Or am I going to be running triathlons? It's most likely the walker. I can't change that. (laughs) 
with the time that you're given, if it is the most prized possession, prized experience that you can go through, what are you doing with the time that you have and where are you giving that time to? Because you may not be able to possess time, but you can certainly give away time. You can't have time, you can't change time, you can't possess it, but you can certainly waste time. So with the time that you have been gifted, where are you putting that devotion? Where are you putting that love to? And it may be a good thing. It may be, hey, I've got I've to fix this room in my home because, you know, we, we just moved in. And it's, that's fine. I've got to get my, my schooling together so that I can achieve this. That's fine. I've, I've got to work harder at, at work and, and I can be a witness to them because the way I, that's fine. But are you making that object, that thing, that pursuit, the, are you giving that the most time? Or are you giving time to God who created you, who has the opportunity, he has the ability to affect your time? By that, I mean eternity. God is the only one who can do anything about time. And what he says is if you trust and believe in me, if you live with me as your priority, you won't burn out. Matter of fact, you will shine on in heaven. You will, you will burn bright in heaven. So what are you doing with your time? Where are you spending your time? Is, is something else the object of your affection? Is it getting all of your attention? I've got college students here, right? So, so right now you're thinking to me like, look, I don't have time. I have, school just started, so I've got studying to do. I promise you, it gets, you get less time. <laughs> it's not more time, you get less time, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. The time you do have, where's it go? to those time-hungry little creatures that you made. Now, that's one view you can have where you can say, hey, I've got this amount of time to invest and disciple these beautiful, amazing creatures that I have. <laughs> They're still creatures. <laughs> anyway, you slice it. What if we traveled at a different speed? I'm reading this book with my wife. We just started it. Um, and it's called uh, The Deeply Formed Life. This pastor by Rich Velatis. Shout out, Rich Velatis. So this pastor, Rich Velatis, he's the pastor of a New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York. And he wrote this book um, just as a way of, he saw something was wrong with the way the church was experiencing time, wasting time, investing time. And so he wrote this book with all of the traditions and, and experiences that he's been able to be a part of. He's been part of the monastic tradition, you know, kind of, just kind of soaking up what the monks and, and, the, and the, the people who live in solitude and, and, and just really recognizing that we may be missing out on something if we don't immerse ourselves in these other experiences and, and really learn from them. And, and Queens is, is part of New York City, one of the busiest cities in the world. So, I mean, there's like... Yeah, it never sleeps, right? New York is a city that never sleeps. And what he says is this has seeped into our church. It's seeped into the way we do church. It's seeped into the way we, we carry out our faith. We're moving at such a rapid pace. It's no wonder that we're burning out. We've got every pursuit that we have is what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Before we take time to sit, process, ponder, receive, hear from the Holy Spirit, and then move on to the next thing. And Corey will get into that more next week. But that is the process. 
You can't just jump ahead of God's timing. Because if you jump ahead of God's timing, I guarantee you will burn out. Thank you. Yes. Now, he quotes this one guy. He says that um, God is a, he's a three-mile-an-hour God. The reason he says that is because three miles an hour is about the average pace that a human walks. Amen. And he says God, God is a three-mile-an-hour God. He's walking with you at a slow pace. And so if you want to experience true relationship and presence with God, you're going to walk along at his pace. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to travel at the pace he's going, not, not the pace you want to, but at the pace that he's carrying you. And you're going to listen, and then when he says move, you're going to move. When he says sit still, you're going to sit still. And as you move in that pace, you will experience a fuller and richer relationship with him. And you know what? You'll experience a fuller relationship with those around you, too. You won't be so snappy and, 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 and angry and anxious and, because you are at, you are at peace with, with the God of the universe. What, what can shake you, Right? Whatever you go through, if you're moving at God's pace, you get to experience it more fully. Technology, social media, you get to experience it more fully because you're experiencing it at his pace. Your work, your job, your your schooling, you're experiencing at his pace. You're listening for his direction and his guidance. And so you won't have to serve the masters of self-promotion or or the American dream, or, or money, or, or sexual gratification, or leisure, security, all these things that we... We try to put as our masters, and we strive after them at 100 miles an hour, and then by the time we get there, trying to enjoy them, we're all burnt out. We realize that we really were investing in the wrong thing all along. Those masters will let you down. As, as someone likes to say, they will, leave, they will leave you down, busted, disgusted, and dusted. Something like that, in that order. As I was preparing for this message, um, one of the things I was uh, looking at was our flower bed. Um, it used to be beautiful. <laughs> Had a lot of nice green plants in it. Um, over the course of the summer, however, you know, life gets busy, man. And like, I was not going to give my time to my flower bed. So as I looked at my flower bed last weekend, and I'm surveying the carnage, Overgrown things here, brown things here. I'm just like, ah, I need some help. I need some professional help. But it made me realize as we're sitting there, Jordan was like, all right, let's go out and let's take care of this. So we cut back this dead stuff. We cut back the, the weeds that were dead. We, we, we weeded, we got in there, we, we rooted up and got to get the ground a little bit more loose so it's not so firm and let something new grow in. We went into where there was dead plants coming up and choking out life from the uh, underneath, and we cut those off and, and got rid of them. We made space for new growth to happen in this flower bed. Because what we want to see, what I want to see is in the spring, when I come, when I come back and God has done his thing, because I'm not touching that, God has done his thing and raised up the, the plants in there, I want to see fresh flowers. And, I, and then I want to learn how to tend them. I do. I, I want to learn how to take care of them well so that they flourish and so that there's new life, and I could teach my kids, hey, kids, this is how you take care of, of these plants and these flowers because God made these things. As I was sitting there thinking about that, how often in our lives do we allow these dead things that we carry around with us, these pursuits that we carry around with us that are drag, we're dragging along, these, these gods behind us, the gods of, 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 of 
power, money, status, or the gods of hurt and, and, and habits and hang-ups. These things that we're giving our, our time to so much, that these things are dead and we're carrying them with us. I think KT once had that sermon, like, it's like carrying around a dead body. We're like, why are you carrying that? Drop that. Let it go. And what Jesus, what Jesus tells us is that in order for us to experience this new life, we've got, we've got to cut off the dead things. It's painful sometimes because we've gotten used to those things. We've gotten accustomed to those. Those things might even define us. But God says, in order for you to to experience new life in me, if you want to not burn out, if you want to live a life that's thriving and full of purpose, that means you've got to cut some things off. So the next passage I want to turn to is John 15, verse 1 through 5. Corey called this passage. So in John 15, verse 1 through 5, Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's talking to his followers, and he's teaching them about what flourishing life looks like. He's teaching them about what it means to experience growth and fruitfulness. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world, I'm sorry, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, or remain in me in some translations, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So like I said, sometimes it's difficult to say no to certain things, to cut things off in our lives. But if we want to avoid this syndrome of burnout, constantly having to go to coffee or Red Bull or or go to our, 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 our vices to, to, to make up for that exhaustion that we feel in our souls. Yeah. We've got to abide in him to bear more fruit. And I want to challenge the assumption immediately what happens when we say bear more fruit. A lot of us go to do more. Am I wrong? Y'all, y'all I'm, I'm, not, I'm not off here, right? When I said bear more fruit, you guys are like, oh, that means I got to do more. No. Oh, what he's saying is that in order to bear fruit means that the, the inward process that's occurring in you will, will outwardly produce these characteristics. Galatians 5 puts it another way, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that will be produced from our lives as we, as we remain in Him, abide in Him, live as, as our primary focus, I want to know Jesus. More Christ-like character. More patience. More faith. I'm going to finish out with this story of this guy. His name Brother Lawrence. Worship team, feel free to come on up before we move into our next, next section. And the, the last point is based on on this story. So the last point that I have 
is the private sacrifices will lead to the public fruit. The private sacrifices will lead to the public fruit. And here's what I, here's what I want to tell you about. This guy named Brother Lawrence. Who's ever heard of Brother Lawrence? Okay. So Brother Lawrence was a 17th century monk. Uh, he was born in France, and he grew up uneducated, had to serve time in the military because that was something that was a, a mandatory thing, served as six years. And after he finished in the military, he said he got a vision from God. And the vision from God told him to go and join this, this monastery. And he joined this group of monks that are called Carmelite monks, and they walked around barefoot. That's how they were identified. I don't know why I picked that one. I like shoes. He must not have. But he joined this order of monks called Carmelite monks. And because he was uneducated, what they would do to an uneducated brother is that they would not make him a priest. He, did, he had no access. He had no opportunity to become a priest, which was a highly held position. What they would do is they would make him do all the menial chores. So dishwashing, cleaning, cooking. That was what he did for five decades. For five decades, he was resigned to doing this menial labor day in, day out, with no hope of advancement. <laughs> like it wasn't even because like, someday I'm going to be you, priest. Someday I can be pope. No. He was resigned to this position. And at first it started out like hazing, but then people started to see how he was walking through this stuff. People started to see that he was constantly talking to God. He was praying all the time. And he was joyful. He was an extrovert. They forced him to do these things that made him introverted. And he, it was against his nature. He wanted to be with people, speaking with people. And he had to instead be in the kitchen, cooking, cleaning. It wasn't until he developed a leg ulcer that they decided, okay, let's take you out of the kitchen, Mr. 70-year-old monk, and let's put you into shoemaking, which is better. For the monk order that doesn't wear shoes. And he lived out his life in such a way over those five decades that the people, the monks who served along with him and the, the people that he would write letters to, he never set out to write a book. He just, he just chronicled what God was saying to him. The book that he has out there, and I, I, I encourage you, go get this book and just spend some time processing how does this apply to my life. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. Because what he, dis what he discovered was that even through you know, the, the, the indignities of the job that he had, even through the pain and the, the illnesses that he experienced, the, the isolation and loneliness that he went through, the private sacrifice that he made was that he said every moment that he had, he was going to commune with God. He was going to talk with God. He was going to, to pray and listen. Whether he was cooking, cleaning, whether he was having extra time, even his leisure time, communing with God. And it became so evident, the fruit that he was bearing, that people started, somebody actually went and interviewed him and asked him, how did you do this? How have you lived this way when you have this terrible life? And he said, you know, my pursuit has been to be in God's presence. How many of us have made the pursuit of God our purpose? Or are we making the pursuit of something else our main purpose? Because what we aim to, what we aim toward is where we'll end up. And if you're aiming away from God into something else, that's where you're going to end up. 
So I encourage you this morning, what you're going through, what you have gone through, the, the, the burnout that you may be experiencing right now, I encourage you to start putting your focus on God. You can do that individually. You can do that by silent prayer time yourself. You can write, you can journal. You can go on a run and just listen to something that is inspiring, that is God-centered. Listen to scripture. You can join a huddle and be part of a community of people that is trying to do the same thing. But if we want to be a church that is rooted deeply and firmly established in the word of God and the character of who he is, then we got to make our aim, our purpose has to be the presence of God at all times.